turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. Hi, Tim. Hi, Ryan. Hi. If that really is your name. It is. All right. Tim. It's not St. Ryan, formerly just Katie. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> not that I know of. <laughs> well, you're uh what do they call that? An unreliable narrator, I would say. Indeed. All things we'll be talking about today mm. for our episode today. Where are you? Who oh yeah, yeah, I gotta say hi to you listening too. I mean I want to. I don't have to. <laughs> you gotta. <laughs> but I like to and I want to. That's what we do. So hi, Tim, and hello, everyone. Welcome, 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 willkommen, bienvenue, to Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan, not Maud Katie <laughs> McDuffie. <laughs> yeah, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. The one and only, actually, there's other Tim Aslans in the world. Timothy. Ugh, much to my disdain. Timothy Ryan Aslan. There's two Ryans That's true. between us. Sharing, sharing the Ryan name. The two of us with you here in spirit, we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else that we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film. That's right. <laughs> and I put that emphasis on the wheeze because it's like any review, reviewing like any um, dismembering, layered with opinionizing and talking about what worked and didn't work, it's very much subjective, Tim and myself, subjective, fun point of views. Disagree. Everything I say should be held to the highest standard. That is what is. Sure. That's my new decree. <laughs> I'm right. You're wrong. The end. Hey, I'm down to mix it up. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. My opinion is the right opinion. <laughs> well, Tim, I'm very <laughs> curious to know what the right opinion is for today's film. I'm for it! St. Maud <laughs> From 2019, actually. Well, it had a, a Toronto International Film Festival premiere in 2019, then premiered mm. at another festival in its home country of Britain, in 2020, and then finally got released widely available to all in 2021. So we're counting it as a new release, which it is in a certain regard, even though it's yeah. got that 2019 moniker. And Tim, just uh, in true how things work out here, fashion, it's fun, you know, how we went from two, um, two stories, two movies based on stories by the same author for our, uh, <laughs> for two movies ago in a row where we did, um, what were they called? Um, the Body Snatcher. Yep. By, they're both by Robert Louis Stevenson. Yep. Into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. We, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy. We covered um, two saint movies in a row. Last week, we did Santa Sangre, which Santa, of course, means saint. And here we are with St. Maud. So we're covering the saint, blood saint and the mod saint in a row mm. pretty bloody both of them and we should say as i like to say here 
Some credits where credit is due. St. Maud from 2019 was written and directed by Rose Glass, which I just got to say off the bat, Tim, what a cool name. And <laughs> yeah, it's just like one of those names where, you know, when they put her name in the trailer and then like when there's articles and you see, oh, Rose Glass is new. Uh, Rose Glass, even St. Maud, Rose Glass. You like, it, it just feels right. Like you get it mm-hmm. and it helps mm-hmm. color the movie in a way. Like even even the actor main actor's name Morphid Clark like Jennifer L is the and then the other star it's just it just all feels like yeah. it illuminates the the isness <laughs> of the movie which is just fun like oh yeah yeah Saint Maud Rose Rose Glass okay cool I I kind of get it I, I I'm getting it agreed <laughs> cool <laughs> it's got a, uh, a quite quite the sort of aura around it this movie. Indeed, as uh, often films with well done films with religious overtones and undertones tend to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before we watch our trailer? Nope. Great. <laughs> then let's watch the trailer for brought to us by A24 here, stateside, originally premiered in 2019, written and directed by Rose Glass. Saint Maud. Dear God, your presence graces the air, and soon everyone will see you. Hi, you Maud? Yes, hi. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh, it's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little savior. Hey, I thought that was you. What are you up to? I'm a private carer. You're still nursing? What? And they know what happened. All the good girls go to hell. I just want to see you loosen up. I've got more important things on my mind. Uh, Using that Billie Eilish music, that was so cool. Is that who that is? Yeah. Cool. Well, you you should, you aren't up on your Billie Eilish. You should. uh, I'm not. I'm sorry. (laughs) You should listen listen to her album. It's really good. And her new, uh, she did the, the James Bond title for the new james bond movie and it's so good i I think i i think i heard that actually anyway somebody played it for me so hip and cool i'm not against it i i what i've heard of hers i've enjoyed did you enjoy that in the trailer just now yes sir awesome did you enjoy the trailer overall just now (laughs) yes and i want to know how you enjoyed the movie overall just whenever you watched it did you per our rating system would you tell yourself do you know it all? Would you tell yourself to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? Hmm. You know, <laughs> it's so 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 good. And, and but I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, I'm a buy. I I'm. Hmm. That's weird. I don't know it. I'm in this weird, like, in-between of, like, 
I guess I'll expand on my my reasoning or feelings about it, but I think I'm I'm like the strongest rent you can possibly be. That's what I am. Yeah, it's funny how we kind of, you know, we deliberately do our rating at the beginning because for you our listeners, we like to and I guess for ourselves, we like to sort of check up at like where are we at in this you know, at the starting point of this discussion, more so than it feeling like we could probably give a better rating after our discussion or more accurate rating. Because horror, well done horror films especially, like just digesting it and talking about it does help. Um, That's my gut feeling too right now, Tim. But like when movies are this overall well done, they do tend to grow on me. And, you know, I kind Mm -hmm. of... I, uh, the, we watched it the only place you can, not in theaters, on epics. And like right. the quality wasn't great, or it was just not, I don't know, it was just bugging me a little bit. And then like it just the, it seems like it would be such a good movie for watching in theaters. And I'm just yeah. bummed I didn't get to see it that way. And I feel like this whole movie is just one of those descent into crazy hell isolation trapped with a person movies which just to i i don't know you know to be completely isolated with that person on a big screen in a dark theater really 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 helps it so um i don't know i may regret it Mm. later but i know me too (laughs) uh, so just like at least like i did i forget like like Midsommar, like that's one of my, you know, any of these movies that I've gone on from to change from a rent to a buy, I just regret so much. But mo- well, I think that they're that actually Midsommar is an interesting thing to sort of compare this to for me. That like I can explain what Midsommar has that this doesn't. That kind of keeps me from being a buy. Got it. Well. Great. Well, I mean, and all all is to say what I was just saying, I'm I, I'm at the same place where I give the highest possible rent right now and I may regret it later. And that's just <laughs> where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> As I've always said, the best my favorite movies usually sometimes they do, but a lot of the times they I have like a whole I have a whole like relationship that spans with them, you know, that grows over time. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I think the pursuing potent possibilities, as you like to say, (laughs) like in this movie, they are pursued for sure. But it it didn't uh, it didn't culminate fully for me to get me to abide. That's kind of where I'm at. I love the, don't get me wrong. I love the ending. We'll talk about it. But like, I think that's kind of the thing. It's like, there's some stuff that, that, you know, it, it chooses to go in a different direction, which I think is fine. I want to hear. Yeah. We'll get into it more what that direction is, but on my kind of like second more morning viewing that I just had, (laughs) I realized how much what is happening is like really digging into these sort of themes and questions at play. So yeah. it's on, yeah, a, yeah. on a second viewing, I'm, I saw the potent possibilities pursued more potently. potently. <laughs> so yeah, I can, I get, I can, 
see where the, where that and might yeah, be true. And yeah, kind of how I was also um, clarifying how first time viewings are for me. It's just like just the experience taking it in the first time. Like I'm not, I yeah. don't know, I'm not, I'm not reading into it a lot on a first viewing. So, anyways, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. that great. Well, let's cool. get into uh, picking it apart one more with what are we even talking about? How about a, a little summary here? All right. I'll give you a summary. I'll give you a summary right now. Maud, formerly Katie. The reason she changed her name is because she was a nurse and she killed a patient. We don't know how or under what circumstances. She's now doing hospice care privately. She takes a job with a rich, uh, paralyzed former dancer who's not super old. She's, she's, you know, she's young to be honest, um, in the scope of things, but she's got cancer. So she's dying. Uh, and she's, you know, she lives in a mansion on a hill. (laughs) Uh, and so seaside English town. That's right. And so Maud, we we realized very quickly that Maud ha- is very religious um, and quickly believing that her search for a purpose has been kind of answered with this uh, with this patient and that her job is to um, save or what would you call that? Um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Like, we know what you mean, like in religious terms, save, yeah, yeah. save, uh, um, Amanda, save her soul, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that causes some conflict. <laughs> uh, and ultimately Amanda, yeah, is the, is the patient. They kind of, they, they push each other's buttons and Maud gets fired and man, does she not like that? And she really goes, goes kind of spiraling. Uh, pun intended, and uh, listens to who she thinks is God telling her what she has to do, and um, and then she does it, and it's intense. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. There's a there's a lot of. Um, I think the the big things are sort of the 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 psychological toll that indoctrination of any like intense religious view mixed with you know um potential psycho uh mental instability and how that can that can spiral really quickly um if if left unchecked is sort of i think an undercurrent of this or left alone or left alone right exactly Great. All right. That was great. So should we move on then? Yeah. Well, I'll just say the reason she it's called St. Maud is that's a moniker uh, given to her by Amanda because Amanda kind of plays along with this idea of, of Maud wanting to save her. Yes. My saint, my angel, Maud. Right, right, right. Great. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty to say for our next section, so let's get into it. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? 
got to get out of the way We're like like I like to do Morphid Clark as Maud. I was never like questioning she was just an actor. It was it was just one of those performances <laughs> where I was just totally yeah. just watching a person just go yes. about. Like I could not <laughs> It was just so weird watching her in interviews and stuff afterwards. Like, oh my god, just talk about just buying right into it. And it is so tricky too because she's playing a very like atypical millennial in that, you know, as far as just being here in Los Angeles, you don't meet a lot of super devout, you know, mm, Christian mm-hmm. <laughs> people our age. Um, I but you know they exist, of course, of course. But yeah. but but just she just pulled that off, sold that to me. She pulled everything off. Is so incredible, Morphid. Your performance was, was as cool as your name. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I. <laughs> Even though I know she's an actress and whatever, I didn't watch any interviews. It, it is almost harder to imagine her as a real person and not this character. Yeah. <laughs> it's <Exactly>. strange. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty amazing and, you know, worth worth uh, commending, I, I guess. You know what's weird? She, I guess this is a thing of note, but whatever. Since we're talking about her. She... I spent a lot of this movie being distracted by my brain trying to figure out who she looks like. And and I mean, I was like, she's she's the daughter of a famous actor because she looks like some guy and I can't place it. I still can't place it. And it's driving me fucking crazy. But that's my problem. <laughs> so you didn't even have an end to that story. Nope. I can't find I can't figure it out. Okay. If anybody has an idea, let me know. Well, I thought Who does she look like? I thought Jennifer L as Amanda Cole looked a whole lot like Meryl Streep. You know, Jennifer L I think looks like a couple people. Meryl Streep is one of them and oh shit, now I'm not going to remember her name. Um the woman who who won an Academy Award for Dances with Wolves. Um, she's so good too. She was also in Battlestar Galactica. Let me see if I can figure out. Uh, Mary McDonald is her name. Jennifer L is sort of like, yeah, I was like, wait, is she related to Mary McDonald? <laughs> Obviously not. But yeah, lately, you know, for some reason, my brain thinks everybody looks familiar. I, I don't know what's wrong with me or if I'm just like, because I'm not out and like around other actual human beings and I'm just like watching uh, media. Uh, maybe it has to do with that, but everybody looks familiar to me lately. That's so different. That's, inter- that's different from looking alike. So you kind of segue there. You're saying that's the people true. who seem familiar to you. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these um, are, but anyway, Je- yeah, this Jennifer is L is, is so good. <laughs> like she's so so good i've seen her in other stuff too like she's a she's been around and but you know she was in like contagion um oh god off the top of my head i can't think of any others but like she's a really good actress that i think hasn't she doesn't have that sort of standout like uh recognition but whatever she's well, fantastic some- she's a stage actress so she's she's done her thing some the yeah, there's, and both of them, you know, as part of the performances, these characters, 
they're writing these really interesting lines that are just so specific and tricky to pull off. You know, like <laughs> yeah. in any horror movie, the horror lies in contradictions of having no sense of reality and therefore performances that can be emblematic of a rich person with contradictions is so important and offers so much. So like the way, like for Amanda, as an example, Jennifer L, how her line that I just thought was like so interesting and actually then put you right into Maud's shoes was like this person, Amanda, she's, She's like endeared to Maud, but then also amused by Maud. Like she wants to, it it rides this line between kind of almost like condescending, humoring Maud, but also being really touched and interested and wanting to genuinely experience what she's experiencing. Um, yeah, like it it gets us to to sort of sympathize with Maud in a way that makes me feel icky. Of like you get like you felt like the urge to slap her too. Like I would never slap anyone ever, but like <laughs> you, it, you, you, you get where she's coming from in a way, like just when her frustration well, yeah. with, um, Amanda. Yeah. Well, and Amanda is, is, you know, kind of doing the, like, you know, batting the mouse around without killing it. Like she's, she's messing with Maud. Yeah, exactly. But Here's the thing. you get, it's coming it, from a good place though. It kind of is. Yeah. The, I think that the the genius of this movie really, really lies in the writing of these characters. Everybody in this movie is a reflection of Maud in some way. So, like, Amanda, they all kind of have the same, not problem, but the same thing going on, right? Like, Maud is trapped in her view of the, like... Uh, dogma that she believes in and so every and amanda is essentially trapped as well right like she's trapped in in this dying body and you know the the sex worker who's whose character name i can't remember um joy maybe um you know, she's kind of a reflection of Maud as well, is right? Carol like she's an, was a... Uh, is it Carol? I didn't know she was a sex... I thought that she was a girlfriend. <laughs> well, she gets paid. I forgot that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that's sort of why I'm thinking that's the case. Um, So, yeah, she, uh, Carol as well sort of had... She's she's almost like the antithesis of of Maud's beliefs, but they're 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 doing what they're doing out of this idea of what is right for them. And so I think that when you, when you, it, it, it's kind of that thing that Michael, uh, Michael Tucker talks about in one of his letters from the screenplay letters, letters. What is it? Lessons, lessons from the screenplay. Thanks. Um, dear YouTube. Yeah. The, um, the thing of, like in American Beauty, the American Beauty episode, he talks about this. When you take a character and you have every other character be sort of like a, a, a representation of different parts of that central character. And sometimes it can be antithetical to those parts or whatever, but it's all kind of this. It's like the spokes to the wheel. And Maud is the is the, you know, the the hub of the wheel. And then you have these other characters that are kind of the spokes. And so they're all kind of pointing at these different things that relate specifically to Maud's character. 
And I just think that that that's such a, a sign of of a really great writing, but just like the the depth of which you go to create that structure within the characters to to kind of further your like you know the the further the, the what compels us in the movie and what compels the characters so i i just think it's it's really good writing and storytelling yeah because we see yeah like you know she's she's we get this and she really doesn't like you know she tells the sex workers stop seeing her and she's just like looking at you know um when she looks at Amanda, you know, just texting, she just like, oh, all these evil influences are after Amanda kind of thing. But uh, yeah, kind of like what you're saying, reflections of herself, we get a glimpse into her past where she was kind of bar hopping and lascivious right. seeing different men and all, you know, just like what she came to then, you know, condemn later on. Um, you said, you said Maud you know, her trap, her Achilles heel, whatever, whatever, is her devout religiousness. And I, I guess I want to, like, dig into that further. I see it as she's... She views things only in extremes, yes. first of all, like a this or that outlook. And she also... It's like, I don't, it's like what you see with this sort of, I don't know what you call it, like, you know, the devout religiousness, even though you can devout and it's it's misconstruing i feel like the actual messaging of it of like you know the body of christ in christian terms the message of we are all god we are not separate from god but this is an example of someone in their literal isolation just does not at all think of those think in those terms of like i have my own worth i am god you know in quotes so to speak too i'm i'm part of this greater thing I, everything that i worship and look up to you know it's something out only outside of herself and she's mm. <laughs> you know basic that's why it's so good when she's doing these like like inflicting pain on herself like no come on like you don't you don't need to <laughs> to, do, to do that. <laughs> well, it's such an interesting construct, right? Because, you know, in, in one way of looking at it, sh she is taking this religious way of, you know, uh, dogma or doctrine type stuff, and she is essentially saying, I am completely at the mercy of what you want, you god or whatever and by and so you tell t lead lead the way tell me what to do i'm i'm your servant i'm at your mercy that kind of i i like uh, outlook is kind of what she keeps pushing but she also is is trying to pre uh impress upon everybody else this way of looking at the world that that so so really what we're talking about is how we define control. And so it becomes this thing of like, you know, she's at the mercy of God and giving up total control to this idea. She has no autonomy when uh, Amanda represents someone who's kind of all autonomous. Totally. And, and so you get this internal conflict constantly. And I think what I really love about this movie is that we are given a very specific sort of reason 
for her or a couple reasons for her to to have the outlook that she has in the first place, right? Like she is a nurse. Just by putting her into the medical profession, there's this idea of like wanting to control or have some control over the outcome of nature and like preventing somebody from dying or, you know, like helping them not be sick like that. That at its core has this element of controlling the the course of things. Yeah. And, you know, and then she – of course, the big traumatic moment, the thing that has sort of really catapulted her is trying to save somebody and killing them. And so so the whole thing is sort of predicated on that moment, this this the paradox of an attempt at saving somebody d- doing the exact opposite. Yeah. And so the whole movie is just a series of other moments where th- her attempts at saving somebody result in the opposite. And it just – it's just dominoes. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. Well, it's its funny because it's the opposite of her point of view. But like her point of view being like when she says, I have little time for – this is her talking to herself. I have little time for creative types as they are self-involved. She That's doesn't right. see that – Everything she's doing is, means she's the most self-involved person. Yeah. You know, she's, she, by, think in her terms, being so selfless she, as she sees it, you know, she's doing anything but because of how, how she's suffering and how it's all her point of view that is just so different and from anyone else's. But she just can't see that. Right. And I think the not being able to see it is really the crux of, of, of the all the whole story overall is that this when you can't see that you you become you're at the mercy of this thing whereas like if if we're looking at a character becoming enlightened or or uh like achieving some sort of altruism which is sort of what she in a weird twisted way what she thinks she's doing but the disconnect that she has from reality from herself, uh, from how she impacts the people around her. Like she really just falls off of contact with being an actual grounded human being and being able to like take stock in what's going on. Like she falls into this other realm of just, you know, uh, (laughs) she sees stuff. Yeah. yeah, I guess you could call it psychosis, maybe, or or she's it. You could call it delusion, I guess. Where I, I don't know exactly what's appropriate, but right, you know, she falls into this other realm that is detached from reality. But I think where the horror lies is we're experiencing her reality with her. Is just that that question they're in. Maybe everyone else are the ones <laughs> actually missing out and not seeing things. Like despite it being pretty clear her way about things are are just not it as far as like what she's seen and experiencing like for example you know one of the best probably the biggest scare moment outside of the dummy laugh and the end credits of goosebumps it was in this movie for me out of everything <laughs> that we watched that will always be the scariest because it was meta and for a half second i thought there was a little dummy person in, <laughs> yeah. in that in your living room but um as far as yeah a, a jump scare this got me so hard when she 
you know, when she goes to check up on her killer or whatever. No, she doesn't go there to kill her. She goes continue to save her, Amanda, you know, on her bed mm-hmm. after she gets fired for slapping her. And um and she she summons her her demon self and yells at her and her mouth stretches out and like, oh my God, I just oh, yeah. jumped and just felt so accosted. But anyway, what I was saying, like, as that's an example of she's Maud is seeing, you know, Amanda's demon, then, let's say, right? But well, at least she believes, yeah, yeah, she is seeing it, whether or not it's actually there. She is experiencing that. But is it? It could also be, this is, I think the horror is, I feel like, you know, I don't know what terms I'm thinking, but like, that could just mean, I mean, this, yeah, you, what if you look at it as like, Maud is just extra sensitive. Like, that's something, like, you know, that Amanda really does have, you know, issues with selfishness or whatever. And you could say that sort of those, you could say that's what a demon actually is in real life. That's what that means are these, you know, negative personality traits. So imagine being so attuned to those that the chemicals in your brain, like they, they exaggerate, you know, things, you know, or, 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 or show (laughs) things for how they quote unquote really are, you know, in a way that's just, there is no right and wrong at a certain point because we all just are perceiving what our chemicals tell us. There is no tangible reality, you know, in a certain sense. Well, <laughs> you that's me there. a, whew, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, where to begin with that sentiment? We live in a society <laughs> that has certain agreed upon constructs right like the more we as a as beings interact with other beings we come to these agreements right right like people uh can be slaves and that's okay sure uh i mean no (laughs) no that 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 was a social contract though Right, but but it wasn't agreed upon. As we evolved, more and more people realized that that's no, my, my, not that, cool. That was maybe yeah, insensitive example. But, but the point being, society is always evolving, and there will always be people who disagree or are outside of how things are. That then society does end up catching up with. Sure, but. The big difference here is that you have an individual saying that they know what's best. And the result is killing people. (laughs) And we've agreed that that's probably not the best way to go about things. Demon or not. Like, we've agreed that we don't get to be the sort of the, I guess, judge, jury, and executioner right, but, of okay, those things. I, I got to specify, though, because I wasn't talking about, like, the right in her decision to kill the demon. I was just talking about her ability to see her as a demon. Okay. Well, so, great. yeah, okay. I get I get that. She, yeah, let's say she, let's say that there is a demon and she has that ability. She still does the wrong thing yeah. by our 
metric of right and wrong. I guess to to, to be a bit more, you know, look back <laughs> what I was just trying to say, like the thought that demons, you know, in a historical sense too really are just, it's just an embodiment of negativity. Sure. And people's brains are so powerful that they, um, you know, what, uh, like you know, might might see them or witness them or feel yeah, manifestation. Them. Sure, because yeah, because when you think of something as being real in that sense, so much that manifestation, you know, and then I don't, I don't know. So that by by that definition, demons are real. You know, well, and, but so so I think what you're you know, how you're coming at it is really what the movie is is speaking to, is that, you know, what we perceive as real really is a product of what's going on in our heads. We like, we, you know, I'm sort of saying the the other thing does exist and we've agreed to not just go off of what we perceive in our heads as like the end all be all. But this movie is posing that question or at least presenting somebody who has allowed the the inner brain <laughs> perception to run the show. Right. Right. I, I just to have no no acknowledgement of like the outside agreement <laughs> that goes on. I just thought that it was just a horror, you know, it's a scary concept to think of rather than her seeing things she is just really really sensitive in a way that other people it is, aren't you know i think it is scary yeah it is scary because it's blurring the lines of reality and of you know like i guess i keep saying this but the sort of agreed upon <laughs> like foundation of how we behave yeah or or not even how we behave of what is real and which is really scary like when you start to break that yeah. down it's like oh shit Right. And that, that's, I guess, what I was attempting to break down to <laughs> what is real. You know, we, we aren't seeing what's in front of us, actually. I mean, I think it's all such a fascinating thing to, to, to explore, you know, the, where are the lines? Like all sorts of lines. Woo. Well, like um, a line that I just I just really held on to this movie was kind of that that theme that question the idea and like what the two characters representative of kind of coming off that line too <laughs> not line as in line in the sand but word <laughs> words <laughs> what I already said <laughs> I have little time for creative types as they are self involved like as if you know she's viewing Amanda as a creative she's dancing oh well how could you dedicate a life to dancing when you know you gotta be uh putting nails in your feet to show your worship to you know it's it's yeah it's messed up this line but this idea of kind of when is that is a human question i wrestle with a lot is like when is something enjoying life and when is something kind of revelry in a destructive way let's say or self-involved way you know, or you know, um, indulgent, and and what's that line between just enjoying life and over over indulgence? Yeah, yeah. So, like you know, the and, and we see that you know when Maud's getting shifty eyed at, I guess the sex worker, and you know the other times you know at her party when that's leading up to her slap. Um, 
even like uh, Amanda playing cards, you know, she's having fun cheating and Maud's like, well, it's no fun. You can't do that. Like right there. That was so perfect for that. But that, Tim, I thought is incredible how like when you have that theming question in mind, the kind of big poster moment of the movie is when she's, she's getting all pained in her you know, her her good ecstasy has turned into kind of pained ecstasy. We see her skin almost just kind of burning on its own. And then she gets uh, possessed by this power and like rises up, you know, back arched. And, but what was so good and just what made it so perfect was the fireworks going yep. on in the background. You know, it, to put in terms of the theme I was just talking about, outside, you know, uh, revelry, is it good or is it bad? Is it too much? Fireworks represent that perfectly. You know, they're, 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 they're destructive. They could be too much, but at the same time, they're pretty, they're cool. You know, they're very emblematic of that, that line and that question. So then, well, and, but yeah, I mean, but to your point in a way that's, it's a really good, uh, metaphor because, Fireworks, when they're set off outside and people know that they're going off, you know, that it's a organized thing and it's a celebration, that works pretty well. We agree on that. Don't set fireworks off in your apartment (laughs) without telling anybody. That would go bad. And this is sort of like playing around with, you know, that idea, right? She's – if. When, when she's pained inside and the fireworks start going off, it's kind of she's you get this feel it's like, oh, you know, like overall just representative of the theme going on that she's like, you know, this is important what I'm doing in here, not all those silly proles with their fireworks out there. <laughs> right. But then but then it's almost like what's so cool and why it's just sort of this endless, endless paradoxical loop, whatever you get. She's almost proven right because her pain it then turns into a kind of like she's an ecstasy she's flying mm-hmm. like and flying's way cooler than fireworks so so she is almost <laughs> sure. proven right by like embracing this this pain and devoutness she's doing something that's well from her yeah. perspective yeah sure. exactly <laughs> but just the fact that it's not yeah, that that I don't know. It, it wasn't just like pure pain that she was in, but mm-hmm. there was a moment of her reaching some kind of ecstasy despite her missing out on the fireworks like the rest well, of us and, would enjoy. Yeah, and I think that that sort of thing is that that through line exists the question of ecstasy versus whatever the opposite of ecstasy is being being whatever really strictly you know that the idea that ecstasy or or pleasure or sexual pleasure in particular is is bad um you know that that construct is kind of played around with and literally amanda plays with with maud's sense of that you know like toys with her and deceives her and plays along with it and says, oh, no, I was just joking later, which is a real, like, holy shit moment. You know, that feeling of deception is really powerful and and heartbreaking for Maud. But, you know, the, the construct of listening to the voice in your head and believing that it's God when it may be the devil deceiving you that it's God <laughs> You know that 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 
snaking into its tail sort of, you know, paradox or loop or whatever you want to call it is it, it, it shows that you actually the um, the spiral metaphor that continues and visually continues to show up is really perfect for that. Right. You, you know, the clouds spiraling or the 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 whirlpools in the beer or every time she looks in a drain and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's spinning into the drain, the, the, or the vortex, I guess you could call it. That's a perfect fucking symbol for this because there's sort of this beauty in it. There's structural beauty, but it's also representative of like chaos and destruction. And, you know, it's just, but with like a focal end point too, like as if there's yeah, a like possibility getting, to get yeah, somewhere. Yeah, you're getting sucked down into it. Like, like a there's portal. all this. Yep, there's all the symbolism within that that is just so. It's so right on, and it and you know take take what you want from it. I mean, it just it feels right. So this, yeah, I don't know, man. This movie's pretty pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, just another example or an example. I was talking about you know her. A flaw of hers being able to be looked at, like she's not including herself in the definition, her definition of God mm. was at the end when she, I guess she's like getting ready to go over and see Amanda or is it, I forget, right before she kills herself. But she's clean, she's like takes stock of her apartment and cleans it after she realized mm-hmm. she sort of let it go. But it's the sense that she's not at all doing it for her. Or even just her apartment, you know, like you'd want to put that intention into it when you're cleaning something. I want my space to be clean. It feels like she really is just doing this because she was commanded to or out of respect for this sort of, you know, God in the sky kind of God. Well, yeah. And man comes, in the sky, sorry, I should say. Because it, right. it, yeah. it is eerie how they only refer to it as him. <laughs> too. Yep. Well, and that that comes as sort of a direct, you know, directly after her her purging scene. Yeah. Right? Like literal and figuratively. Um so she's she had to purge all of this stuff to see the 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 appropriate, you know, way to carry forward. And so part of carrying forward is to clean up the 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 sullied apartment of this purging (laughs) yeah and that you know it it is very there's a word for this and i i can't i can't remember exactly what it is but it's it's this sort of you're in service of the greater thing It, it which which i think is a continual theme throughout this is that there's this you know i'm in service of a greater good kind of thing and obviously being a nurse is a is a reflection of that but and like but it's like taken to the <laughs> to a, uh, an unhealthy extreme yeah take a talk about taken to an unhealthy extreme question for you just like felt like there was something in i i just had the thought like when she slaps amanda it's 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 huge at the moment and it's just so well done um but I just kind of thought, you know, I, I found myself kind of yelling at Maude at first. I'm like, your whole thing's supposed to be do unto others. Why would you slap someone? But then I realized, oh, wait, 
if this was Maud, she would want her to be slapped because she's lost her way so bad. That's right. From Maud's point of view, she is helping her by physically harming her, by slapping her. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's all, like, the the, the self, like, there's there's this extreme set of beliefs within Christianity that aren't, you know, that only a very small segment of people buy into, I think, especially now, because it is based around self-harm. Yeah, like right? when, self-flatulation or the, the there's that yeah. thing that you put around your um your thigh that you like that has like teeth on it. There are these I don't remember what the sort of the the offshoot that uh promoted that self-flagellation type stuff is but but her you know it it does exist her slapping her it just feels like it's on that same spectrum of course not as bad as like you know uh um in the the witch hunt times or like when we Mm -hmm. watch um Mm -hmm. the devils of just being like no we're saving your soul by drowning you we're saying it's you know again that like total perversion of do unto others is just oh god it's uh, yeah, I mean, you. I feel like we could go on and on and on about sort of the broader kind of thematic implications revolving. I mean, religion's a pretty big, big one to to take a bite well, out of. How about this? Another way to look at this theme that I thought was interesting is you know just just slapping uh, the word addiction over it all, mm-hmm. and um, sure. I I thought it was interesting, you know, she, in an interview, Rose Glass, she wasn't saying like this was an inspiration or whatever or whatever, but she was just kind of noting and observing, you know, when they brought up, Ahmad's kind of not your typical millennial um, in that she's not addicted to her phone. And so, so Rose Glass was kind of like, yeah, you know, she's, just when talking about addictions, he's like, yeah, you know, but she is a kind of a millennial in the sense of her, she's just addicted to something else. And you could say, you know, just very generally, this generation is addicted to their phones. And it's cool. She brought up Ingrid Goes West and an example of what that Mm. specific story would look like. Um, But yeah, you know, her addiction escalates from uh, just kneeling on little, uh, what's she like, like crunches up. hard, Hard corn you know, corn seeds. Yeah. Kernels. To, to then putting the the the, the 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 nails in her shoes to then ultimately killing herself. Like that's yeah. That's an addict searching for the bigger hit, you know? Right. The self harm stuff is pretty Yeah. But you know, see, seeking that that ecstasy, like that the mm-hmm. only way she's gonna get it is to do the most extreme version of it and set herself on fire. And she, well, yeah. she might experiencing it too in that moment, which is so horrifying. Well, yeah, and it, I, I find it particularly horrifying this idea of the only path toward salvation is is standing up to pain, and like that 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 proving that you can take pain somehow elevates you to being a a better version of yourself and that is such a twisted way to look at the world and and to look at being uh you know considering yourself good or righteous and i think the righteous the idea of righteousness Mm. is put pushed through this 
constantly, right? Like the every character kind of has their own version of how they view righteousness and the judgment that sort of comes along with that. You see it in the her friend, the nurse friend who's like, you know, are you, you know, she she questions and kind of judges the decision of Maud continuing to be in uh healthcare because she's like like did you did you tell them that you <laughs> like killed somebody accidentally and so there's this there's this sort of these different shades of of how we how we uh, you know how we uh, look at righteousness um it's you know man amanda has her version of it too yeah i mean you could also put it as not maybe i don't know how similar this is it's connected to righteousness but I picked up on that idea where it can also be looked at as like not being able to accept the other person for where they are at. You know, mm. it's as if they're yeah, they're trying to act. It's that difference between like you you give someone an actual possibility of change by accepting them for who they are then and there and then helping them to grow beyond that by, you know, it feels almost like it's um you know, work is some it's contradictory or something, but but you know they're 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 testing each other. They can't you know like and you get that with Amanda's friends like as an example like the way you know if Amanda's friends are sort of representative of Amanda. Just when Mods mm-hmm. is there, just trying to light the candles her own way, one of them comes in and is like, "Oh, kind of here, let me do it. You do everything too slow. Get the lights now." You know, just yep. this like. You can't even be nice about it. It's this is not accepting someone for where they're at. Like maybe, you know, it's it's, it's funny because it's a lot in it just for a small example. But like, oh, here, you know, she could have been friendly. Like, hey, here you go, you know, just use my lighter and, you know, that would be easier, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And that would maybe get Maud to just feel that little bit of connection versus not of being accepted for she didn't think of this other way to do it. It's so interesting to me because there's <laughs> – by having – I mean this is a very true to, to I think a lot of our lives. We, we, we interact with people who view the world differently. And in like you're saying, instead of sort of giving a little bit of space to sort of acknowledge and maybe like allow time to, to – understand where the other person is coming from we 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 seem to be in this you know common place of just if you think differently or you behave differently than than my construct then you're wrong and i need and and then it the next step is i need to assert my way onto you and that you know that's a very like i think it's sort of a a a death spiral again (laughs) that's why i like that that visual uh um metaphor or whatever um that it's the opposite it is the irony of that in the face of the the basic ideas of altruism and and sainthood and like why anybody is considered having risen to this level of understanding that they should be, um, what's the word? They should be like uh, propped up for 
for being on another plane for for having altruism it's so it's such irony that that's what we're trying to do and yet we just simply can't do it because we keep saying no you have to do it my way it's like the it is the opposite of the point well that's um i mean to tie this into what i just said yes and to to tie it into (laughs) what you're saying earlier when you're kind of going back and forth that idea of buying into a social contract Mm -hmm, and i mm -hmm. think we were both kind of pointing out um, the two sides of that where there's yeah. the at any given point in the history of society there's the good that's being represented that we're all buying into and we find a truth in and then there's a bad that most people are buying into but needs to change kind of thing yeah so yeah you, it's so, funny it, actually I, I very recently came across a kind of a breakdown of it's called altitudes of development. And it's so interesting to kind of apply it to film. Um, you obviously can apply it to life, but um, it's a really cool chart to sort of see how we as humans, or at least an idea of how we as humans kind of separate ourselves on these different levels. And that ultimately... And and this is talked about throughout all of human history that there that we that there's this sort of higher level, the highest level of human kind of like understanding that we we talk about wanting or that that's the goal or that that's what we're we're striving toward, but so often we see that in the pursuit of that it becomes perverted. Yes, I, I another kind of I think micro example of that but really says a lot that's you know like the birthday lighting the birthday candles i mentioned of wanting Mm -hmm. wanting to help someone but you're actually doing more harm than good right is like um in that same party scene this is where i thought that was so good again like the party being an extension of amanda Mm -hmm. and just this idea that that other line that we talked of like well life should be you know parties and you know, you're allowed that, have that fun. And of course, Maud's just like, oh, all these heathens, hedonistic people. <laughs> right. She's, it's like, I think there's some good truth to the, you know, where they're coming from, from of like, Maud is for her own sake too saintly. And, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like Amanda points out, you're young, have some fun. Da, da, da. Um, but rather than, you know, meet again, meeting her where she's at and then bringing her into the party, let's say, they dress her up as like a classic saint by like putting that, you know, that yeah. headdress on her and immediately just kind of not taking where she's coming from seriously, therefore isolating right. her they're, more. Well, they're mocking her. Yeah, 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 mocking her, therefore then escalating to the slap moment. So <laughs> yeah. it's... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, yeah, all of what we're talking about is just so cool to me as just, you know, where you're coming from, from a thematic point of view. And, and then like the ways this movie has peeled that onion, I guess, is just really, really fantastic. Some more, uh, another poll quote that's right on that theme, you know, theme stated questions when uh, Amanda goes... They're, they're talking about someone that was just in the room, I guess. He goes, she goes, he has plugs. Did you see them? And, you know, Maude goes, no. And then Amanda's just like, wow, no one sees what they don't want to. 
And that's yep. you know, easily applied to both of them in that circumstances. Oh, you know, that's like, such a good, yeah, that's such a good theme stated kind of moment. Especially, you know, you have a bald person pointing out someone else being bald too. It's like, right, right. You know, on her, on her side of it too. Um, yeah, it's laced with all um, way more than just this flippant remark. It's yeah, got <laughs> layers underneath it for sure. Um, I think we should we we have to. Um, I mean, I have specific moments. If yeah, we, acknowledge some of these moments because they're woo boy. <laughs> talked about the mouth stretch. Did not mention the intensity of the subsequent stabbing. Oh man, I mean that that scene as far as a climactic sort of like final kill scene is really good everything leading up to it the use of color in this movie is just so so good um i say color and close-ups yep in particular in this scene before like as they're speaking Maud has like kind of leaned in and and amanda and their and her face are you know an inch apart or something like that and the way that it's lit is I, – I actually paused it and took a picture because I was like, I need this for my own personal reference because this is perfect filmmaking. You have Maud on the right of frame and Amanda on the left. Maud is – her face is slightly above Amanda, right? So there's this sort of dominance thing going on. Right down the middle of frame is – a a very clear color delineation between the orange that is reflecting on Maud's face and sort of spilling around her and the blue it's almost a blue green actually that that Amanda is completely washed in and there is virtually no uh opposing color on either one of them and it's they're they're also both kind of in shadow, you know, it's it's a pretty contrasty shot. But it's so beautiful and it's sort of really emblematic of the broader moment which is at least from Maud's point of view that she's on the side of the light and Amanda is on the side of the darkness, you know, or different way of looking at it, Maud is on the side of warmth and Amanda is on the side of the, of coolness or death. Etc. Etc. You could go on and on and how you describe that, but point being, it's just perfect lighting and framing for this moment. And there's a lot of examples throughout the movie of how that's used, and and there's a lot of variation in it too, which I like. You know, they don't get caught up in just like trying to do one thing over and over again. Like there's a malleability in and to to how scenes are lit and a progression of it. But man, that whole scene is just so intensely beautiful and super scary. Wait, which one? So that that particular the death like yeah. Amanda's death scene is just <laughs> incredible. And right. like having said that, there's like four or five other scenes that are just as amazing <laughs> for their own reason. Let's hear right? them. Like, holy shit. Okay, well, we already mentioned one, the um well, the purging, woof, I you know, I really don't like throw up, like I don't like seeing people throw up. That that moment got me. 
and 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 then of course yeah yeah as it leads to her um i guess possession sort of thing and floating in the in the fireworks like that's a whole nother color palette in that scene and it is so beautiful like everything about it to point out something in that scene to how cool and unique the setting is for this kind Mm -hmm. of imagery it really just i i don't know it it furthered the context of this kind of imagery for us. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, Seaside town. The, I guess you could, can you call it a masturbation scene? I don't know if that's necessarily the appropriate way to put it, but when Maud sits down next to Amanda and she's talking about feeling God inside of her and how he talks to her and all of that, and then they both sort of, like, well, Maud has this kind of possessive moment where she, or possession moment where, uh, you know, she seems like she's, I don't know how to describe it. It's so visceral. Well, it's too. like how she described it. She feels him in her. She feels this energy of him. Right. <laughs> and like having her and Amanda both kind of doing that behavior yeah, and kind of knowing that Amanda is maybe just putting her on i mean i had the thought but i trusted her then to be like i, I, I just yeah i wondered but i was like well maybe she yeah yeah sure yeah. maybe it's this is this is what's happening but that the whole way that scene is shot and uh, and i think in particular i think they do it four times where they actually physically distort mods face like they actually bend her face just a little bit like it's it's like her eyes uh (laughs) go in opposite directions and her mouth kind of lengthens a little bit or like distorts because i think just 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 real quick stay on your i don't want to throw you off your track but just as far as like you know the demons inside of us and she sees you know we talked about the demon by the uh, by amanda's mouth stretching in that moment where she decides Mm -hmm. to kill her but to think of a demon in terms as your own strictly in terms of your own inner demons it's like the whole movie is just maud fighting back that demon and and telling herself it's something else right man though each one of those moments the way that they give you it's so few frames of actually seeing the face distortion it's it's perfect like it's just enough to get your you to go oh god what is that and then we're out like they cut away um let's see how many was that doesn't really matter um the, oh and the sex scene the sex scene having that end with her putting her hands through his chest as sort of this memory of, of the actual killing. Uh, (laughs) I just, if you and I were sitting watching this, I can't, I mean, every single one of these moments I was, I was just yelling. I was just like, "Ah! (laughs) Oh my God. Like every single one. And to me, that really is sort of like, that's what I'm looking for. Right. Like that's why, like I want to have that reaction. So each one of those scenes has such a different palette to it as well. And like, they're all shot differently, but they all live in the same world. I mean, it's just something about the filmmaking and like, it's, it's just, 
it does feel like this is a it's a familiar contemporary style but it is really like its own thing it's funny to me because i feel like climax has a similar feel filmmaking wise upside down shots yeah stuff oh my god that upside down section damn i forgot about that it's so cool and so good um another movie has it the new version of um um suspiria has it um I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a European, a modern European filmmaking sensibility that's sort of that we're seeing. But man, I'm really, really into it. So, use of color, beautiful framing, uh, messing with our perception of like the the um, the composition of a scene, so that we feel where the character is. Um, and th- I mean, those things are just, they're at their best right in this movie. And I mean, the one that I mentioned, I want to throw onto that list was use of close-ups, where <sighs> something yeah. I'm always paying attention to, especially in movies like this, where, you know, we want it to be her subjective point of view, how she's experiencing everything. Like, mm-hmm. I'm always thinking of like, yeah, okay, I, I get how you do that. But then you obviously want to couple it though with context shots of some wides and some of getting her from someone else's perspective. So just what that line is and how you execute that while still overall staying staying subjective is just really interesting to track for me and just, you know, how it works at the end and the balance of all that. But like what these close-ups are doing, I mean, so much you have everything from allowing, that allows you to sort of, more fluidly and naturally get like her memories as images flashing forward because like let's say we've already experienced sort of these close-up glances with Amanda and not you know when she's back alone in her apartment thinking about it freaking out about it all you know plotting to go see Amanda it's just yeah it's 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 natural as exactly how I said how you can work those in um so just from the sense of that and and then even in an inner interscene way, allowing for kind of um, a kind of half montage flow of just mm. picking up these details. Um, and then, of course, you know what they're offering those details are just that's what gives us that subjectivity of all that matters is what she thinking is on her face is her are her eyes are the only thing appearing out of you know some piece of furniture that's blocking her, right, and then. Right. Um, and then, you know, how she's experiencing what's around her, too. Like, I loved those shots when she gets that book. And what was that? What was that author or the, the artist that's um, referenced in this that, you know, she gives her as a present? Um, oh, William Blake. Yeah. So that, but you just feel the thickness of these pages. You hear them in close up, so to speak, too. Like when she's cutting them with the scissors and mm-hmm. you just, you just, like bite on it that you know how thick the paper is the sound of it is so cool like and then from when she first gets it that that ribbon seeing that in close up just these like like you've just all that offers where you just feel like how she's the reverence that she's giving this Mm -hmm. book and these pictures um and then uh (laughs) i think my favorite close-ups too i mean the, the, the book stuff was so cool everything i said but i really loved at the beginning when you're just sort of easing into the movie and kind of getting some setting shots and whatnot 
And there's close-ups before we know what it is or where we are. These slow, the slow red bubbling liquid that <laughs> yeah. is yeah. tomato soup we gather. But right. it just feels like you're in hell, essentially. It just feels like you're in the the bubbling red, uh, non-specific liquidness of hell. Oh, yep. God, was, I love those shots so much. The rivers of hell. Yeah, there's also, man, it's so beautiful. Like the outside shots in, in particular at night, it, it really, really reminded me of of Taxi Driver, actually. Mm. Like the the sort of him walking through the, the red light district kind of or driving through it scenes. Um, you know, you have this almost documentary style feel. It's handheld and they're sort of like just sort of showing a, you know, slice of life of that town. Um, like the the guy putting his glass eye in at the fast food place, exactly. <laughs> or like there's a, a shot, a you know, kind of a walking shot of like a guy outside a store playing a drum. You know, like little things like that. It gives us this sense of place. It also gives us a sense of like her where her brain is. You know, she's sort of like the cacophony of of that little sector of town. And like, there's, it's not super unfamiliar, but it is sort of her, it's the observ, it's the observational camera sort of style. Um, and it may, and then we cut, you know, we sort of turn the camera around on her walking through it. So we really get this sense of like, she's just soaking it all in. And I, I think there's, there's just, it's just really, really good filmmaking. And then, yeah, and that allows you to, like, when ha- when you have the moments where she then interacts with those surroundings, it just feels that much more realistic and grounded and natural. Like, that was a great moment when, it just you know, so telling and great on so many levels, but when she's about to treat herself for a movie, but then instead gives the money to the guy on the street right. and doesn't see the movie. But then she says under her breath, She's like, I forget what it is, but it's, he's like, what'd you just say? She basically is like, God bless you. And may, may your pain like be good sort of thing. It's something to that effect. Like it's like a backward sentiment. And he's like, what'd you say? And she's like, bye. (laughs) But there's this like, yeah, it's like that little, that little thing of, of like, I just did a good thing. So you need to like, I need to lash out is is the whole movie in mm-hmm. a weird way. It's so, it's so good. Um, I, I've got, <laughs> maybe two, I should be a bi. God damn it. <laughs> I've got two more moments. One is the ending and one is a yeah. surprise one. So which one you want to hear? Let's do the ending. Cause that's, that's kind of my last one too. Great. Well, <laughs> I mean, do you want to set the stage for us? Cause I just only have one specific thought, but I want to hear your <laughs> thoughts on it. Wow. Well, God, she's 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 slayed the demon at least as far as she's concerned. Gruesomely killing Amanda. Well, what did you like about it? Let's assume people have seen it. Um, <laughs> it's sort of the perfect like. It's the perfect step we we have left. We have fully left. Uh any well hmm, how do i put this we've entered into a new realm that's what it is like forget about where we've left and what that implies but like we have officially or at least maude has officially left 
or moved into a new realm. She has the the angel wings, which are so cool looking, like using this kind of light. I don't know how to describe it. It's a super cool effect. They're like made of light, I guess. Um, and and of course, then going to the beach and dousing herself in whatever that is some sort of flammable liquid. Um, I think the most compelling part of that moment is everybody on the beach kind of having this initial reaction of, oh my God, what's she doing? Like somebody stop her. And the second she erupts in flames, it's it's what she, I think my takeaway is we see – uh from an objective point of view what she believes is happening which is she becoming this sort of deity saint like angel whatever thing that all of the people on the beach then just get on their knees and are like holy shit look an angel her last words glory to god right and then we get what do you think four frames of her actually burning to death (laughs) more than that but yeah holy smokes (laughs) and it just sort of like to me it really you know drives home this this overarching theme of like the perception of reality versus reality dude that it was everything that i've like i feel like i've seen that technique before you know of just like okay, now here's the quick flash of what's actually going on and then cut away again. But to use that as an ending like this, I hadn't <laughs> yeah. seen before, and it was so on point. I mean, come on, that was amazing, just like that yeah. quick flash of it. Like you said, we're in a completely different place with her, her, her reality as she's seeing it, and then the physical reality of everyone else's world where she is screaming in pain. I mean, I'm just saying what happens. I'm not even saying what I thought about it, but hopefully you hear it in my voice just how affecting and effective it was. I think I think the the truly smart way of depicting that 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 Rose Glass used was like I said, having this objective camera moment where we are we are behind the people on the beach who are looking at her and seeing her as the angel, right? For most of the movie, we're really subjective with her, as you said. And this is sort of, we've really stepped back and are objectively looking at her and we're seeing this moment <laughs> of her being an angel and people reacting to it. And so it's, it is really fooling us into thinking, oh shit, is this is this real? Was all of this real? Is she now actually an angel? Is that real? And just giving us the hint of that possibility and then following it up with the 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 flash of her actually burning is the it's the best use of that technique. Yeah. It's fooling us. <laughs> And then and then slamming the hammer down. It's so good. Well, I I mean, yeah, maybe just put put some words to it. I mean, the best endings you can't totally, but hey, that's all mm-hmm. we're trying to do here. Um 
it's like if this whole movie she's she's you know like the addict searching for their their ultimate hit like we said and thinking that you know she has reached some sort of salvation in her mind mm-hmm. but the whole time we're like no girl this ain't it you know just to then have that hit her like a ton of bricks and just the inescapable of of itness of it now where it's like it's too late even if you know if if that was a moment of realization for her in that pain too you know just the sheer human response to being burned alive just that that tragedy of yeah. it being too late is i think a big part of why it's so powerful you know and there's also i think it <laughs> It speaks to, and maybe this has always, you know, historically always been true, but I think right now it's really important of a, I don't know if I want to call it a message, but it's pointing at a really important thing that humans have to grapple with. And I think it's particularly poignant now when you have people who are falling kind of prey to broad external manipulation. And, you know, you see this with like cults, for example. The moment of realization that the whole belief system that you have have attached yourself to is a sham is one of the most tragic things. Like, watching somebody go through that realization of, like, oh, my God, everything I knew was actually bullshit is, is so, so tragic. And, and we, right now, are, are actually privy to seeing a lot of people have that experience. And so it feels, although the subject matter in this movie is is quite different it's still pointing at that same thematic thing and i think that thing has been around forever it's not a new thing but we're just we're just like i said more privy to that experience right now in in the world because there's a lot of people who get down the rabbit hole whatever whatever particular one they've gone down and sometimes it 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 is their demise but a lot of the time it's actually you know having to climb back out of it is like really really hard and and tragic to see and it's that the tragedy too i think is more so is the people who you know you know if a lot of the, we haven't used the word so much but so much of this is about loneliness and isolation too yeah yep. and not being touched from outside hands as a way weird way to put it that just came to me but um is you know how you're referring to it those people is everyone else's response who's not in the cult? Is it going to be uh, helping them light the right. candle or is, uh, dismissing the way that they're trying to do it? Yeah, and and yeah, I mean, really, like editorial point of view here, we we have to as like human beings be more like understanding of that and, and like yeah. <laughs> welcoming to those people to be like, we should talk. <laughs> doesn't matter how far and crazy town someone seems you have yeah. to just just respect their point of view can you use yep. you know i think just it's it's easy to take this as extreme point of view but even flat earthers you know our friend daniel made sure. that great documentary yeah, great documentary. um beyond the curve 
uh, behind the curve. <laughs> I was behind <laughs> the curve on that one. Um, I always forget to know. But, um, but there's a great point sort of made, made in it of like these no, no one's here is stupid. In fact, they're really smart to have to kind of right. put all these pieces together in a sort of outside-of-the-box way of thinking. It's really on the mainstream scientific community and asking how have they led these bright minds astray? What aren't they yeah. doing that's led these minds astray? And then it breaks my heart, like the clip they used in the movie of Neil deGrasse Tyson, like, like, trying to make it this big mic drop like he does a literal mic drop moment where he mm-hmm. went off on how stupid flat earthers were and then like literally dropped the mic and the crowd was like yeah woo but like that's not that's that's what he's doing is he's dressing up you know Maud in her in her saintly hood at the party there it's it's, yep. it's ridicule it's not helping her out of her situation yeah it, it it's all this stuff of like you said isolation and when when you further um, confirm the divide between the person who feels isolated, they have nowhere else to go but more isolation. It is just not going to end well. <laughs> like, I think it's that. you got to bring like, them into the fold. Those other points of view, they sort of inherently challenge what the predominant point of view is. Yeah, and totally. I think any maybe it's the human thing on the majority side, but rather than just being skeptical towards everything and trying to meet people where they're at, it's like this immediate defense of having to double down on mm-hmm. you know the predominant beliefs. That's that then ends up in ridicule. That's right. just uh, it's that's not that's not the way we're going to do it. I'm kind of getting on a lecture high horse here almost, but these are just important things I think about. Well, but. But I think the point ultimately is that this movie, St. Maud, is touching on those things without really like pushing it too much. Like they're not they're not overtly going, hey, <laughs> this is like you gotta whatever. I don't know what the I mean the I weird love thing these, I was gonna say. Yeah. It's it's you know, I, I was really moved by the ending of Calvair and I I talked mm-hmm. about those themes exactly i think when we did the top 10 of the crazy one falling in a pit of quicksand and do you save them or not right no you don't let them die (laughs) well that's the thing too they deserve it well it's a spectrum of violence is what we don't realize that like there's two ways of doing things reaching out or not and the natural escalation of of not is that is it's it's rejection, it's separation, and that further further is is literal violence. Yeah. Mm. Well, do you want right, to hear the last your, thing? I yes, had? I do. My goodness, <laughs> because this was all those great great moments, of course. But this is the one that just still takes me so off guard and just like how perfect of a moment, how it came together and how unexpected it was. And not since The Exorcist did I feel this kind of, um, this this like moment of underlying tension in something that feels like it shouldn't be there at all. Just, just like packed into a moment of like, and tension that shouldn't be there, but you feel it anyways. And ah, kind of thing where like those sort of um 
those like different cuts to black or, uh, or or the moments before the light turns on in The Exorcist when you just feel this kind of tension in the air and you just know that there's evil in the works. Um, the moment was when I forget if if Maud's going down to talk to Amanda or uh, Carol, but it's uh, uh, Maud's at the top of the staircase and we're seeing it from whoever's on the bottom of the staircase's point of view. And Maud like comes down the staircase and her face is in like total darkness. And we just kind of see her in medium and don't really move from where we are. We're just seeing her come down the staircase. But like the way she kind of like speeds up at the end, it feels like or something. And the way she's in total darkness, it just had this, this feel of this, oh my God, like she's she's going to be completely unhinged at some point. It, it <laughs> felt like I just felt her coming at me this intensity and then and then before you know as soon as I felt it it was gone because she's like oh hello you know whatever she goes on to say um yeah it, it, it just like it's so precise just how you make that work and pull it off and so unassuming I I it's, just, it's funny just her coming down the stairs but I really thought it was one of the most incredible moments in the movie so subtle and so affecting yeah, well, it makes me realize I, I've forgotten to say the one other thing for me, which I think actually is part of why those moments, that one in particular, f- work so well, is that this this movie has some of the best sound design I- I've heard in a long time. I mean, the, I was... mu- the music and sound design in here is almost imperceptible. Like I never, I only one time thought about, I was like, Ooh, this music is cool. I would like to use music similar to this in a horror film. And then for the rest of the movie, I never thought about it, but felt it. It was, uh, the first time I was watching it, I like didn't even notice this, but then watching it, you know, having it on this morning, there's this, this like, I swear it's like nearly constant in the movie. There's this, this subwoofer droning. Yep. <laughs> it's brilliant. You want to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> That's the way to do it. You put this low frequency, just rumble in and oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> We're good to go. <laughs> Great. Cool. dude. All right. Well, let's move on then to see if there was anything that did not work for us in our aptly titled section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> well, Tim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, do you have anything? You know, now that we've kind of talked it out, my 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 general thing that I initially was going to, I don't know, not complain about, but kind of my feeling when I finished the movie is that I, I think, and we've talked about this a little bit before, about the first viewing, like post-first viewing kind of like malaise maybe. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Um. I think I wanted, well, certainly I wanted more. And I think that you can't hold that desire for more against the movie. And I was a little bit. I was like, oh, damn, I wanted to see more like 
more with with the the her her demon eye like distortion stuff. I wanted to see that actualize more, or I wanted to kind of have a more of a her and the demon like moment. Or I was ex- maybe it's based on expectations. Like like you know, when whatever. you see the poster, you think it's an exorcism movie, so you're kind, like. Yeah, yeah, kind of maybe. So, you know, when I got what I got, I was like, a, there was like almost a little letdown. But like in sitting with it and kind of going through all of the things that are so great about it, I think that it's it's not, um, it's it's baseless. <laughs> I think <laughs> what any I, th- my feelings are. Pushing those things anymore would have been lame and crossed a line. Yeah. The thing is, it's a small movie, right? It's 83 minutes long. It's probably only about 75 minutes of movie with, you know. It's funny so, um, to jump to things of note real quick, just on the length of it. She mm-hmm. wrote it. It was 90 pages, but then realized it was like in some free screenwriting program. So then when she switched it over to final draft, it like lost eight pages. So it was actually shorter than she thought. That's cool. <laughs> That's funny. Um. Yeah, it left me wanting more. If that can be a, a, a it, it can't be a thing that didn't work. <laughs> but my initial reaction was to be like, "Damn it!" Uh, but no, I, 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 I can't really think of anything that is actually significant and substantial enough to, to well, say it didn't work. Maybe when we do our. Uh our next retrospective episode in 70 episodes or whatever. Well, you got to rewatch St. Maud right before it to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sad. Um, I mean, the only thing that I'm like, you know, we've talked about, we're so sensitive to this is, uh, some special effects, like just the, the fire effect at the end. And I was just like, Oh, it doesn't look good, but I, it was weird. I but, agree with that. Yeah. But then on, mm, yeah. I don't know if this was me just really wanting to like it more though on a, on that sort of second viewing, but I was like, Oh, but if it's all in her head, then it can yeah. have this cartoonish, fantastical quality. That was so, kind of my takeaway. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, like what? Is, what is there to not like? I mean, that uh, was that was the only possible it for me. Like, no, nothing else was holding me back at all. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like seeing people throw up. There you go. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, should we move on then? Yeah. Great. All right. Here we go. Last section. Things of note. This should be interesting. Another scene we should have, could have mentioned in what worked, of course, I don't know why I didn't, was uh, the very witch-esque moment of her hearing the voice of God. I thought that was so cool. That that yes. voice was so unnerving. And I mentioned it in Things of Note because uh, that's where I had it down. It's her speaking. It's her voice. It's is it sl- really? Yeah, just to slow down or whatever. Oh, and that is amazing. It was Rose Glass learned that um, as soon as that she learned that Morphid Clark spoke Welsh, 
she's like, oh, perfect. You're going to do the voice. And that makes oh so much God. makes so much sense that you'd want it to be her voice distorted. That's amazing. Which is, which is what it is. And that's what we're saying. Yep. And it's like jokes on her if she only included herself as the greater glory of God. But instead she is, but it's in a destructive way. <laughs> that is genius. I love that. Well, yeah. there you go. Who is this rose glass person? She's amazing. <laughs> it was cool. She uh, was talking about, you know, how just sort of the gestation of how it started. And it sounded like, you know, like a lot of things, it was just sort of all these different factors and things floating around in her head coming together. But she did say she settled at the beginning on just sort of the what if or the premise, the setup. Young woman hears voice of God in her head and falls in love with him. And then hmm. from that, that evolved into like turning, you know, less and less of hearing the voice until it was that one scene that I just talked about and more and more to this relationship with this other woman who um, it was interesting too to learn that first started out, you know, in her head is that classic, like she was more of an older, older woman versus the sort of younger hip woman with cancer. Um, it's great how that evolved. Uh, so yeah, evolved from that initial setup, you know, into something else and then evolved even further when, you know, she was trying to get it made and the whoever distributors or people reading the script were like, you know, this really reads like a horror script. And that's when she was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I see that. I'm on board with that. So then kind of drew out those more horror specific moments from what was already kind of, you know, set, set up to be that way. Nice. Speaking of one thing of note I had that, I guess I could have put in that worked, but I just thought it was a cool little, a subtle little thing when Maud is looking through the big poster, like framed posters that are kind of under a blanket. And they're all like posters from dance um, performances that, that uh, Amanda had been in. One of them, I think it's the first one she pulls out, it says Cole 666 on it. And like just these, it like immediately made me think, man, the confirmation bias that exists in us, right? (laughs) Like that we will assign meaning even if there is no meaning, right? Like we, like 666, somebody who's super religious is going to take that and run with it in the Satan direction, right? But it is just three numbers, right? Like it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But putting little things like that, there kind of are a few sprinkled in in the first act of just tiny little suggestions of things. Even the wallpaper in um, Amanda's room being this sort of quite ornate. Um, there's a really cool design to it. It's got kind of a gold leaf design. I mean, gold leaf, not leaves, but like the actual coloring is gold leaf on green and, but it's ornate. And then you, in Maud's room, it's a sort of similar upside down or not upside down, a similar kind of V. It's, um, what do you call that? Um, I think it's called a Chevron or Chevron. Yeah. Chevron symbol. Um, they, they both have that symbol, but Maud's is like this very simplified, like not ornate version of it like there are these little sort of design things all throughout that i just thought are they're so they're noteworthy in saying that that there's specificity in them but like 
they just create the they really support the mood especially in the first act of like showing us who's who what rep, like what am i trying to say giving us just a sense of the world i guess is the best way of putting it yeah um what else <laughs> see i had written down there oh this is a quote from the you know just i wrote it down from um interview with her there are figures who claim to hear the voice of god thousands of years ago and were revered however in 2020 if someone says they hear the voice of god in their heads i'm sure the public reaction will be different <laughs> so that's just kind of getting out what we talk about about changing norms and yeah. i don't i don't know i just thought that's interesting and sort of thinking about how and when and why did this switch over history occur um <laughs> <laughs> i will uh not expand on my personal beliefs as to why that is because we don't have time for it <laughs> got it um oh just uh, a moment another moment should have mentioned in what worked i mean we mentioned it kind of you know the walking on nails in her shoes but um God. just tying that specifically to you know something that rose glass said she was really interested in when writing this when when starting to write it was this idea of people's inner worlds and then how we view them and you know mm -hmm. just the richness of someone's inner world and their subjectivity versus you know how easy it is just to 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 yeah. not not remember acknowledge that so just perfect perfect symbolism metaphor whatever for which it was so good how those she's walking on nails in shoes so she's can be out in public you know, and yeah. with this Oof. suffering that way, no one's the wiser. It was ugh, so good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the last little thought I had was just kind of to wrap up kind of some stuff we were saying earlier, If uh, unless you have anything else. I was just going to talk about sort of the acclaim that it's gotten so far. Let's hear that. So you got, like, obviously it, it um, we had mentioned before, it, it premiered at Toronto, um, and then it's screened at a bunch of other places and it's just gotten a lot of, I think, rightly deserved acclaim. Um, let's see, brilliantly unsettling blend of body horror and psychological thriller, um, impressive debut for writer, director, Rose Glass, universal acclaim, uh, Danny Boyle said, Danny Boyle, hell yeah. Uh, said, a genuinely unsettling and intriguing film, striking, affecting, and mordantly funny at times. Its confidence evokes the ecstasy of films like Carrie, The Exorcist, and Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Hell yeah. Yeah. Totally. Agree. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm super excited to see what's next for... for rose glass yes this is her debut film like that's like feature that's awesome she said she's working on um i think it's she said is like a, a romance but kind of is her next thing <laughs> great <laughs> <laughs> um so it's just just more since we were kind of touching going on it throughout the idea you know and then just bring it back to that example reaching out to people, how to best help people, our own, you know, ridicule versus not. 
the that how the everyone at the party is treating her. Um, I I don't know. I just wanted if that was feeling compelled to like point out how I think of it is so often we look at that, you know, and we when we were looking at it in terms of 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 not accepting people where where they're at, therefore also insinuating we need to change this person. Mm. That's sort of our like our default mode, I think, of looking at it that is so un- unhealthy or unhelpful is like we need to change this person, not meeting them up where they're at. Like we think of it in those terms of like when you're changing someone, it's so much not wanting to make them better, but like wanting to get rid of the bad things. You know, hmm. we don't, mm-hmm. we aren't accepting you because we don't, because these things you have done or are doing or the way you're acting are bad. And it's so easy just to kind of laugh at that and say, oh, oh, mod. But I think the healthier way to to frame that is rather than a sort of getting rid of traits is how do you help someone open up um, to more compassion, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, and I think that's by doing it on on the other person's end too. So rather than looking at sort of, yeah, helping people or whatever, if someone seems lost as sort of a changing the negative about them, think of it like on both ends of the spectrum as a needing to uh, open up to compassion. So it's not like you're sort of uh, shaming the bad parts, but rather helping to coax out the the positive. Yeah, there's such, there's, <laughs> it's it's so common that when somebody sees something that they don't like, that they they put the responsibility on the person doing the thing that they don't like. It's like you, you, if you don't like it, you, you should carry some of that responsibility if you want somebody to behave differently as well. Like you should put in some of the work too. If it, ma- if it means that much to you to condemn somebody else, y- you should bear some of that responsibility. So it's, it's just this knee jerk, like, oh, they're all this and forget about them or whatever the the attitude becomes. It cannot be a closed-door attitude. It just doesn't make sense. And it never works, ever. Yeah. So again, you're helping people open themselves up more, that those positive sides. Yeah, and you have to be a part of that. And yes, and, that, <laughs> and that's how you do it, point being, yeah. <laughs> so, Passion, cool, understanding, great. Yeah. All right. How about some recommendations to wind us down? I watched, uh, which I've seen this before. I watched like the first half of Prince's Mononoke again. And man, that opening scene is so cool and so scary. Are you um, recommending Princess Mononoke or the first half or the first scene? <laughs> I'm, recon- I'm recommending the entire movie because the ending is fantastic. And creepy and scary too, but it's so good. It's so, so good, the whole movie. Um, I just was sort of taken because I think I wouldn't have necessarily, it wouldn't have come to mind as a recommendation necessarily because I, I generally try to steer toward more horror stuff. But I, when I turned it on, I was like, well, this is, this opening <laughs> scene by itself is is super scary. So hell yeah, get into it. Cool. Yeah, all the Ghibli movies are available on like HBO Max and stuff mm-hmm. now so it's cool. Uh I will recommend Ed from 1971 part of the Australian 
know, New Wave or whatever. All these like weird dark movies they were making. Like I recommended Long Weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Wake and Fright with Gary oh. Bond and Donald Pleasance. It was on Shutter for a long time. I don't know if it still is. It's on Amazon Prime right now. I it's, think I've seen that. It's it was it was really disturbing and like you know it's sort of pitched as like a plunging headlong into his own destruction kind of a descent into hell kind of thing but it's it's it never crosses a line into like totally unrealistic territory so the kind of realism in this descent it just especially gets under your skin even more it's kind of like this this guy who's on his, 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 he hates his school teaching job and is like on a little summer hiatus or something or like a weekend hiatus. And um, it's just, just ends up at this like weird little town where it's, it feels like it's 98% men who live there. He's like gambles all his money away and he just like gets caught up with this crazy crew where they just drink and shoot kangaroos. And it's super sad and depressing their state, but it like gets at a lot of really interesting things and masculinity and all that stuff that mm-hmm. this are these Australian uh, movies seem to do so well. So yeah, wake and fright. Cool. All right. Is it your turn to pull from the hat? Yes. And since we're in person, I tell you when to stop, which is... Stop. Can you see that? Upside down. Oh. (laughs) Oh, but I can see it. It says May from 2012. All right. Have you seen May from 2012? I don't think so. It's just one I know, like, the, the... or no, it's from 2002, actually. Oh. Um, Lucky McKee, who did the... Oh, he did The Woman. Oh, okay, I've seen I've the seen poster that. for this. Right, the poster's yeah, yeah, yeah. so recognizable. It's this woman mm-hmm. whose like, skin is all white and uh, red lipstick, black hair. All right, we'll see what it's about. Cool. <laughs> cool. That'll be next week. Cool. Here at Dismembering Horror. In the meantime... <laughs> You can find us wherever you found us. Our big ask is uh, you tell a friend, tell a like-minded friend that Tim and Ryan are here for them. Always. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> so in closing, whoever, <laughs> whoever you may pray to or not, we do thank you so much for listening. Yes, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,